Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. You've just ordered a meal at a local restaurant and you decide to hit the restroom while you wait for your food. While you're in there, in walks a restaurant employee and you witness them do their business in all of their glory. You can hear just how involved they are. You hear them finish up without washing their hands. They walk right out of the bathroom, completely ignoring the signs that say employees must wash their hands. You are shocked. You make certain to wash your hands, and as you head back to the table, You look into the kitchen and you happen to see that same employee. They're standing in front of the food assembly counter. You see them pick up a knife off of a rack of freshly washed knives while they scratch their belly under their shirt with their other hand and they stand there chatting it up with another employee. You sit down at your table but your mind is spinning. You're replaying what just happened in the bathroom and what's happening in the kitchen right now. No judgment. What do you want to do next? Not what do you do next? What do you want to do next? Take just a moment and reflect on that or discuss that if you're listening along with someone else. All right. I'm aware that some of you are big hand washers and you're all about sanitizing things. And I know that some of you think exposure to dirt and germs make for a good immune system. But I am still going to make a guess. I admit it's possible that somebody is suggesting that the germs might be good for their immune system. But I'm going to guess that not one single person suggested that when that employee picked up that perfectly clean knife that had just been washed, that somehow that clean knife made their hands clean. And it's because there's a rule that this world lives by. It's a rule that is so deeply ingrained that you probably didn't even think about it. And the rule goes something like this. When something clean comes into contact with something dirty, now both things are considered dirty. It doesn't matter that the employee just picked up a perfectly clean knife that has just been washed. That doesn't somehow make their hands clean. Because we all know the way that the flow of contamination goes. We know the rule. And we live by the rule. When something clean comes into contact with something dirty, now both things are considered dirty. This simple rule 
brings us to our gospel story today about the most feared, possibly, of all illnesses in Jesus' day, leprosy. Uh, The background text, primary background text for the conversation about leprosy is Leviticus 13 and 14. Uh, if you want to get background on leprosy in ancient Palestine. Leprosy affected people on four different levels. Their physical experience, their relationship with other people, their relationship with God, and their relationship with themselves. So first let's talk about their physical experience. So True leprosy today is known as Hansen's disease. Uh, It's extremely rare. There are only uh, approximately 200 cases of Hansen's disease reported in the U.S. every year. So out of 333 million people, your chances of meeting someone with leprosy are very, very low if you're looking for Hansen's disease. I don't think I've ever met someone with Hansen's disease personally. But this ancient term, leprosy, didn't only apply to people with Hansen's disease because leprosy wasn't just one thing. It was an umbrella term for all kinds of skin diseases. Uh, If you want to read Leviticus 13 and 14, you'll see it could be certain kinds of swelling, a certain kind of rash, a shiny spot on the skin, a hair that's in a sore that has turned white, any sore that's more than skin deep, a place where raw flesh appeared on a person, a boil that wasn't behaving correctly, a burn with a reddish white or white spot on it, uh, a reddish or white spot on a balding man's head, the, the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of the Jewish law, identified 72 different skin diseases that could fall under this umbrella of leprosy. So in, in our modern day conversation, we might be talking about psoriasis, lupus, ringworm, eczema, face fungus, etc., 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 For some, their condition might be quite debilitating, but for others, their physical experience with this skin condition might leave them able to function quite well. Some skin conditions might last only for a season before they cleared up. Other skin conditions might be lifelong. And so this brings us to the social experience, the relationship with others. Uh, New Testament scholar Fred Craddock says, Into every culture sooner or later come diseases so mysterious and threatening that they are met with fear and ignorance. Having no explanation or treatment, religious, social, and political forces join in the demand that the diseased person be removed from sight, isolated from all domestic, religious, and commercial contact. For the social experience, 
this is the part that really explains why leprosy was the most feared of any illness because it was a social disease. The Jewish purity maps of clean, unclean, the pollution taboos made lepers into the ultimate outcasts of society. Lepers were considered no different than dead people. Anthropologists distinguish between disease and illness. Disease being the physical experience like, oh, I've got some red bumps, I'm itchy, I have this loss of function. Illness being the social experience, like social networks lost, value lost, sense of meaning lost. The illness of leprosy is why a lot of people feared leprosy. So if someone developed a skin condition, they were supposed to present themselves to the priest. And the priest functioned as a public health inspector. The, the priest would often isolate the person for a week or for a series of weeks to see if the spot or the sore was growing or spreading. Is it behaving in a way that we can call it clean or is it behaving in a way that we have to call it unclean? You can read Leviticus 13 and 14 on that. So if the sore wasn't growing, if it wasn't spreading, if it healed up, the person was allowed to return to normal life. But otherwise, the person was deemed unclean. And these were the people known as lepers. So here's how Leviticus 13 reads. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So when a leper came on the scene, everyone moved away from them. Touching a leper was considered as bad as touching a corpse. It made you temporarily unclean. They were a walking pollution in their world. So their new identity in the world was not their name. It wasn't their family, their vocation, their group of friends, their personality, where they came from, what they could offer. Their new identity was unclean, unclean. And many lepers were expected to wear a warning bell around their neck to let others know that they were coming. Maybe, like, I'm thinking, man, if they get tired of shouting, that, that kind of takes care of it. The pain went deeper than the skin, for sure. They had to tear any clothing they were going to wear. They lost their, their life, their community, their family, their friendships are cut short. Most of them, I mean, they're losing their, their career, their income. How, how are you supposed to work with this? They're separated from the religious life and the celebrations of Jewish people. They were ostracized and made to live outside of the city. The law said that they're supposed to live alone, but probably because that was kind of unbearable. Leper colonies developed where they tried to survive. Many lepers ended up gathering at the city gates and begging during the day, but had to sleep outside the city gates at night. They lost everything. If 
someone did happen to recover, they had to be inspected by a priest. They had to go through a ritual with two birds, shave all their hair, offer numerous sacrifices before being declared clean and being readmitted back into the community. We find that in that Leviticus 14 passage. So it brings us to their relationship with God. They didn't only lose their community. It was thought that they were even separated from their creator. The God of Leviticus 13 and 14 was understood as a God who pulled back from dirt and disease and death. There was no known medical cure for leprosy. Many people believed that sin was what caused leprosy and that God was the only one who could reverse leprosy. Their torn clothing was understood to symbolize God forcing them to mourn for their sin. So think about that. What does it feel like every day to cry out to God and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, if your leprosy persists? Which brings us to their relationship with themselves. So it wasn't only the loneliness of rejection or feeling hated by the world. Think of the self-hatred, the guilt, the shame that these people live with every day. Like, it's my sin, it's my fault, it's my past, it's what I did. God is mad at me. God is punishing me. I'm the reason for my suffering. I ruined my own life, and now I'm suffering the shame and the punishment for it. All those kinds of thoughts. So, you add these four layers together, the physical, the social, the relationship with God, the relationship with self, and... Can you imagine the suicide attempt rates among lepers? Like It was just a living nightmare, even for the most optimistic people. So, a quick discussion question here, or a reflection question. If you suddenly became a leper, name one or two things that you think you would miss the most about your old life. And what are one or two aspects of being a leper that would be the most difficult for you? So take a moment and reflect on that. With that, let's jump into our scripture today. Just a quick review. Jesus announced his mission in the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke 4, 18 through 19. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind, to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as the story continues, the question we have in the background is, 
what does that mission actually look like in the local neighborhoods that Jesus spent time in? And so as we continue to read Luke's gospel, we continue to see what this mission looks like. So here it is, Luke 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to or against them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Notice, this leper approached Jesus inside one of the cities, inside one of the towns. So the leper was already going against the law of Moses in Leviticus 13. He's supposed to stay outside the city. Leviticus 13 says that. So Jesus could have stopped the conversation right there. Nope, like I'm not going to have this conversation with you. I only deal with lepers who are playing by the rules. Don't ask me, will you help? While you are crossing the lines and breaking the rules, you can't ask for help if you aren't with the program. You have to wait until I come outside the city to ask me for help. Jesus could have responded like that. This guy wasn't following the rules. He wasn't following the law. But, of course, that's not what Jesus said. That's not how he responded. The leper didn't beg, Lord, can you help me? He said, Lord, will you help me? Are you willing? Remember, the God of Leviticus 13 and 14 was understood as a God who pulled back from dirt and disease and death. The thinking of the day was that lepers had sinned and they were separated from their creator. They were being punished and forced to mourn for their sins. And the question is, as we look at Jesus and his mission, is, is that an accurate picture of God? Hebrews verse 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here in Oregon, we have a lot of foggy, cloudy days. And you try to look at the sun through the fog, you can kind of see it. You can kind of see where the sun is, but you can't see the sun clearly. Things are lit up. You know the sun is there, but it's not clear. Jesus is a clear 
sunny day. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Moses was looking at God. The prophets were looking at God. And Jesus is the sunny day, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. As Colossians 1.19 says, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, not part all. So what does God look like? God looks like Jesus. This leper says to Jesus, will you help me? What does that full radiance of God's glory look like? Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And he, he reached towards the man, reached out his hand and touched him. I wonder how many years it had been since this man had felt the sensation of human touch. Was it the last hug from his wife or his children years ago? This, this guy was in a touch desert. Jesus reached past every barrier of clean, unclean, taboo, pollution rules, and Jesus touched him. The research these days on the human need for touch is vast, and it, it demonstrates how vital human touch is to physiological well-being in life. Touch calms our nervous system, it lowers our blood pressure, it helps release oxytocin and helps our immune system and protects us against anxiety and depression and stress and on and on and on. Jesus didn't only heal this man from his disease, which is the physical illness. Yes, he did heal him. But he healed him from his illness as well, the, the social part. Jesus sent this man to the public health inspector, which is the priest in that day, so that he could be pronounced clean to his whole community. This is what would heal the illness. Jesus already healed the disease, but he's also healing the illness, the social part of it. This is literally the next closest thing to a, a flat-out resurrection. Here's a dead person who's been given back his life. Now this man can walk through the marketplace. He can get together with friends, strike up a conversation with a stranger, shake a neighbor's hand, kiss his wife if he has a wife, embrace his children if he has children, take up the tools of his trade, put on a nice outfit without ripping it, tearing it, fix his hair however he wants, how could this man not find release from not only his physical ailments, but from self-hatred, guilt, shame, sin, isolation, loneliness, despair? When your relationship with God and with others is made well, how can your relationship with self not help but follow suit? Jesus reveals a God that's focused on bringing wholeness to lives that have become fragmented and destroyed. Jesus reveals a God who does address sin, but we don't find Jesus talking with lepers about their sin, like as some kind of punishment for their cleansing or something. Jesus talks with lepers 
in the Gospels about restoration to their community and being made well. Jesus reveals a God who doesn't recoil from dirt or mess because Jesus reverses the flow of contamination. This is why Jesus is constantly hanging out with sinners. Jesus isn't being made dirty. They are being made clean. Jesus reveals a God who invites his followers to take a non-defensive posture that opens the way for God's cleansing and wholeness to happen. Like communities that reverse the flow of contamination. Jesus didn't only cleanse lepers. Like that's the story we have today. But Jesus also invited his disciples to cleanse lepers. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And part of this command, Jesus says, is cleanse those who have leprosy. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew records the last place that Jesus stays with his disciples before the Last Supper. And it's in the home of Simon the leper in Bethany. And numerous scholars believe that final stay, Jesus with his disciples, is probably in a leper colony. Bethany in Hebrew means house of affliction. So they look at that, that stay and they say, this is Jesus bookending his ministry on earth with his ministry to lepers. Like it, it begins at the very early days with ministry to lepers. It ends with ministry to lepers, the ultimate outcasts. It's been said for Jesus, there is no other. There's only one another. Let's shift gears to look at Tillamook County in 2024. So it's easy to think of lepers in a similar way to how you might think of leopards. And yes, when I was a kid, there's a, a hymn, he can cleanse the leper spots, and I thought it was the leopard's spots. But <laughs> it's, it's easy to actually make this mistake, to think of them, lepers, as exotic, endangered, possibly extinct in the world today. Think about your experience with lepers. It's kind of a magical experience to see a leopard in the zoo. Something special happens to your imagination, at least to my imagination, while you're at the zoo looking at an endangered species, an uh, exotic species, or even if they have an exhibit that's showing an extinct species. And it's kind of a magical experience to read about Jesus and lepers in the Gospels. Uh, or to see pictures of Mother Teresa working with lepers in Calcutta. But you don't look for leopards in the branches of your neighbor's trees. Because you know that you only see them at the zoo. And you probably don't look for lepers in your neighborhood. Or when you're going into Fred Meyer or going around Tillamook County, you, you see them in the Gospels, but that's about it. Jesus wants to take you and take me, I believe, from seeing lepers 
as an exotic endangered extinct group who we probably never meet to seeing that there are a lot of lepers in Tillamook County. I don't know how many, but a lot. There are lepers in your neighborhood, in your school, your YMCA, your work. They might even come to your church. If you think of lepers as an endangered or extinct species that, you know, they don't really exist in Tillamook County, then the life and teaching of Jesus will probably not find any traction for you. And it won't only be the lepers who suffer. Your discipleship to Jesus will suffer. You won't grow in the way that Jesus wants you to grow. Your heart won't expand in the way that Jesus wants your heart to expand. If you're thinking of leprosy as only Hansen's disease, or if you're thinking, well, you know, I guess it's these skin diseases, but uh, nowadays skin diseases are no big deal and we can treat most of them. We don't make people live alone. If you're doing that kind of thinking, you're, you're probably missing the, the real punch, the real impact of what this story is. Lepers are people who have no one else. They are somehow locked out from society. They are locked out from opportunity, from the worshiping community. They are forgotten. They have nowhere to turn. They have no safety net. They're unloved, unwanted, unseen, rejects, castaways, pariahs, untouchables. Somehow they have fallen between the cracks. And every society has lepers. And lepers are not all one thing. They differ in varieties and types, just as they did in Jesus' day. Remember the Mishnah, 72 different uh, varieties of lepers? So you name the demographic today. Choose your demographic. There are lepers within that demographic. It's not like we're saying, well, it's this one demographic and those are the lepers Name the demographic. There are lepers within that demographic. Some people are lepers because of cultural underpinnings and structures within society, biases and prejudice. Some people become lepers because of unfortunate circumstances. Some people become lepers because there's something about them that causes other people to recoil and avoid them. They activate feelings of disgust in others. They don't all look the same, but all lepers experience the same thing. And that's the important part. They have no one. They feel like an outcast. And so the question is, do you have any lepers in your life have you have you recognized oh that's someone who has no one and even more important what is your posture towards that person do you reach along with Jesus towards the lepers who come across your path 
It's not hard to come up with a million reasons to take an avoidant posture, a dismissive posture, to lean back, to squirm, move on, to tell yourself someone else can befriend them, someone else can help them, I'd rather not get involved, they belong somewhere else. Or maybe maybe you even have reached before and it didn't go so well. Maybe they didn't respond the way you wanted them to. So you kind of give up reaching. You say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. It might be there's just something off-putting about that person that it's enough that you say, it's all right for me to do the same thing that everyone else is going to do too, which is just avoid that person. And you can even tell yourself, you know, it's kind of their fault. They're, they're not fun to be around. You might have an inner conversation about the sin that you think that person has in their life, even though sin pretty much describes all of us. And, of course, the Holy Spirit can figure the sin stuff out with that person and is fully capable of doing that work in their heart way better than you or I. But you might use your ideas of their sin as a reason to not reach. Like, well, I'm not going to get involved because they have this kind of sin. You might act like you can't reach because you tell yourself, I'm not ready to become everything to someone who has no one. I can't become their everything, so I'm not going to reach at all. Jesus taught his disciples to move towards lepers. You notice the story, Jesus reached towards the man. He taught his disciples to reach, to be a part of their cleansing, which is physical, it's spiritual, it's social, it's psychological. You're not called to become everything to a leper, but you are called to be a part of bringing them into the community of people who do not lean away from the mess and the dirt but they lean towards people with compassionate touch and, most importantly, trust in the Jesus who reverses the flow of contamination. That's the linchpin of this whole thing. Jesus reverses the flow of contamination. And, you know, God seems to have a sense of humor about all of this because I've, I've seen it happen more than once that... The, a leper's experience is not only about their healing, it's often about your healing too. Uh, so there's something in your heart that needs expanded and made whole. And it's funny, it's the lepers that God brings across your path tend to be people who are tailor-made to stretch you in a way that you need stretched. It's not just that they need healing. Something within your heart needs stretched and expanded and needs to grow. And so they actually push your ability to trust in the Jesus who reverses the flow of contamination and to let that be part of who God is. God reverses this flow of contamination. They are the one being made clean. 
And God is doing work in your heart, too. So the question, are you reaching, along with Jesus, towards the lepers? Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.